chapter 3. Many visitors with us this morning were working our way just systematically, verse by verse, through the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking at where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Um, Acts chapter 3. I to <coughs> read from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see now brothers I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his Christ would suffer repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abram, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So read God's hired word. We're going to thank you to those leading us in our praise this morning. It's help, helpful if you turn to the passage that we, we read earlier. I'll be referring to various verses throughout it. The last time we looked at Acts chapter 3, we, we noticed that a miracle has just taken place. A man who had been crippled for at least 40 years and knew nothing else save a life of begging has now been healed. 
And he is on his way with Peter and John to the prayer meeting. And such is his joy that we read of him walking and jumping and praising God. And, and such is the change in his life that everybody round about them was filled with wonder and amazement. And as we look at the verses that we read there earlier, I want us to consider four things from them. Firstly, we're going to see that a beggar is supported. Then Jesus is preached. Repentance is demanded. And blessing is promised. Firstly, a beggar is supported. As I was preparing at the beginning of, of this week for, for this morning, uh, my immediate thoughts as, as I sat down to, to study the passage was kind of to get straight in to Peter's sermon. Yet, there was a particular thought that, that really was driven home to me uh, and, and came to mind that when I read verse 11. Notice what it said. It just says this. It just says, While the beggar held on to Peter and John. This man has, yes, been completely healed. Indeed, verse 7 tells us that instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He, he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then in verse 11, we're told that he held on to Peter and John. And all I want to pull out from that little snippet of information is this, friends. The importance of helping and of supporting the individual. And especially so, though not exclusively so, those who are as this beggar, as this man, is a new believer. It is important to have support. It is important to have someone, as it were, to hold you up, to help you on your way as you begin a new life. And equally so, equally so, it is important to be able to, to support someone else, just as Peter and John are doing here. In as many ways, it is what some refer to as follow-through care. <laughs> we saw from chapter 2 how the new believers, those who had just come to faith, how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the fellowship, and to one another. Of how they cared. Of how they nurtured. Of how they looked out. And it seems to me that's what's happening here. 
the man is off to the prayer meeting. Peter and John, that's where they were going, and he just follows and he goes with them. And we actually see that he stays with them because when we get to verse 14 of chapter 4, and Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin in trial, we read that the man is standing by their side. So he was then supporting them. And the really simple, yet yet the important point to make is this. We are to support one another. We are to help one another. We are to encourage one another. It's dead easy to pull people down. We're to build one another up. We're to be there for one another. The first few days, particularly after somebody makes a commitment to Jesus, is vital. They're newborn babies. You wouldn't leave a newborn baby to get on with. They need help and they need support. But it mustn't stop there. Ongoing support and ongoing help and ongoing encouragement is vital if together we are to grow in the grace and in the knowledge that is of, oh sorry, of the Lord Jesus. And that support, that encouragement can be in many ways. And, and, and yes, primarily discipleship and teaching and encouraging and like Peter and John here, taking them to the prayer meeting, to the place of prayer, all of that's important. But so is what is so often the case, the unseen thing. The phone call. The card. The meal. The invite. I was so encouraged as I was studying this. I started on Monday afternoon and, and, and later on in the afternoon I was so encouraged when twice, completely unsolicited, two people phoned and spoke to me concerning the support that they have received and how it has been of great blessing to them. And it goes on very often unseen. And yet I see it regularly. And I encourage each one of you, brother, sister in Christ, to keep at it and to get involved in it and to support one another. The beggar was supported. Secondly, we see that Jesus is proclaimed. When we read Peter's sermon there, you kind of can, can go back in your mind of three or four weeks ago, and, and, and there was a lot of what Peter preaches here as to what he preached on the day of Pentecost. And we see that he once again begins with where the people are at. That was his entry point. They are amazed at what has happened. And it would appear that they kind of somehow think that this has happened because of Peter and John. Peter said, well, why'd you stare at us? Did you think like it's our power? 
something special about us. You think it's, it's our godliness that's made this man walk? Do you think we've done this miracle? No, the focus and the credit and the acknowledging is immediately switched from them to Jesus. Jesus is the focus. I found that quite a refreshing change because you'll be well aware, won't you, that in the Gospels, we often saw them arguing, Kenny, among themselves as to, to who is the greatest. But it also, brothers and sisters, serves as a timely, timely reminder to us that in all of our preaching, I was making this point on Thursday night, in all of our preaching, indeed in all of our living, Jesus is to be the focus. It is Jesus that we are to lift high. It is Jesus that we are to exalt. Remember what Peter and John said to them as the man called out for help? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. What did they have? They had Jesus. And that's who they gave. In the name of Jesus. And beginning with where these people were at. Peter proclaims to them Jesus. And he does so in such a way that as verse 4 of chapter 4 tells us, another 2,000, 2,000 men were added to the church. That was 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, 2,000 not so long afterwards. There's a lot of support that was needed for that. And it seems to me that as I studied Peter's sermon here, that Peter doesn't just not only start with where they were at and kind of focused on Jesus, but actually Peter knew to use a word, his audience. He knew who he was speaking to. He's, the audience there that day would have been mainly Jewish. So Peter knew, and he knew the entry point to go in. And that, friends, is an important thing to bear in mind when we are doing any kind of preaching. Be aware of and know to whom you are speaking. Peter is addressing people who would know the Scriptures. It's a bit different for us today in our, sometimes in our one-to-ones and our evangelists. People, have, people are ignorant of the Scriptures. But they weren't. They knew the Scriptures. They knew all that had just happened and been going on in Jerusalem. So what, is pre, pe, so what does Peter preach? Well, notice how he begins. He begins where they would understand. He begins with the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. It's something that they would clearly understand. And he tells them that this God, the God that they worship, the God that they acknowledge, has also glorified his servant Jesus. He brings in a direct link. So Peter tells them that there is, if you like, a direct continuity between the Old Testament and their view of God there and Jesus. 
And all the happenings of recent times in Jerusalem are not by accident. They have all been foretold. He's saying, you know your scriptures, it's there. And he brings to them a direct contrast between God, the God that they worship, who has glorified this Jesus, and they, the people, who not only rejected him, and they should have recognized him as the Messiah, but who not only rejected him, but handed him over to be crucified. They, Peter tells him, you preferred a murderer to be released. It doesn't mess about here. He, he, he wouldn't kind of win any politically correct contest. But that's not his desire. He doesn't desire to be politically correct. He desires to exalt Christ, to proclaim Christ. And he tells the people as it is. Verse 15, you killed the author of life. And as you look at this sermon, once again, you see how the death and the resurrection of Jesus is central to the apostles' preaching. Do you also notice some of the names that Peter, Peter ascribes to Jesus? They should have resonated with the people. They know their scriptures back to front. The holy and righteous one. The author of life. Peter is making the point, he's making the strong point, he's driving it home that this was, this is no ordinary man. This is Jesus, God's anointed. And this is what you did to him. And actually it is by his power that this man that you see is now healed. That was one of the signs of the Messiah. Blind would see, the lame would leap. This is not about the crippled man who has been healed. This is not about Peter and John. This is about Jesus. Jesus is to be the focus. Jesus is to be proclaimed. Jesus is to be lifted high. And as before at Pentecost, Peter concentrates in, in, in the name of Jesus. He emphasizes that again and again and again. Verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus. It is Jesus' name. And as we saw last time, the name of Jesus speaks of all of his power, of all of his majesty, of all of his characteristics. Friends, we live in trying days. But we live in days of great opportunity. And we live in such times where Jesus needs to be proclaimed. Where Jesus needs to be the focus.
beggar is supported. Jesus is proclaimed. Thirdly, we see that repentance is demanded. I dare say that for many that day, kind of this part of the sermon, uh, it must have got a little bit uncomfortable. Kind of, who does he think he is telling us we killed? It must have been quite hard to listen to. Quite hard to even accept. And what we see Peter doing is he, he, he moves from, if you like, um, he moves from explanation who Jesus is and kind of accusation what they did to the need for reconciliation. He speaks first of their ignorance regarding how they've acted. I, I don't think this is in any way to excuse their actions. But again, they knew their Old Testament. And, and in the Old Testament law, that there is a distinction between deliberate sins and sins of ignorance. Leviticus 4 and 5 and Numbers 15. If you want some afternoon reading, bring that out. And one writer makes a point that the person who sinned presumptuously was a rebel against God and guilty of great sin and he was to be cut off from his people. Whereas the person who sinned unkind of wittingly and without deliberate intent was given opportunity to repent. You see, friends, ignorance does not remove guilt. I didn't know I was doing 52 in a 30. Too bad you were doing it. Ignorance doesn't remove guilt. Ignorant, ig both have sinned. Both need to repent. And in this sermon, Peter goes to the heart of the matter. Because the heart of the matter, the matter of the heart, is the heart of the matter. And he calls on the people listening to repent and turn to God. You see, friends, the, the gospel, the good news, the good news of forgiveness and peace and joy and life eternal. It's always good news. Yet for that good news to be relevant, we need to tell people the bad news of their sin. And we need to warn them of their consequences. Because you see, while seeing a crippled man healed is great, ultimately, what matters, friends, is what God has done in Jesus Christ for humanity. And how individuals respond to what, Jesus, what God has done in Jesus Christ. And that is what burned at Peter's heart that day. 
And the call to repent and the call to turn to God must be a vital part of any evangelistic preaching. And we need to stop being ashamed of it and think that it belongs to a bygone age. It is a necessary step to salvation. It means more than being sorry for just getting caught out. It means more than just remorse. You kind of, I've done that, I feel bad about it. No, true repentance is a complete U-turn. It means to have a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of attitude. It is about admitting and confessing our sins and trusting in Christ alone through faith alone. And without truly repenting, no one can be a born-again Christian. And that burned in Peter's heart as he spoke to the people that day. Later on in Acts, I don't, I don't know when we'll get to it, I think it's chapter 16 or 17, but whenever we get to it, I'll read it when you go home this afternoon, when Paul was speaking in Athens, he tells them, the same thing. It says this. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now, he commands all people, that includes you, everywhere, that includes you, to repent. And friends, the challenge, the challenge to each one of us, each one of us, is this. Have you truly repented of your sins? And if not, why not? What is stopping you? I'm not, I'm not being judgmental. I'm not standing in judgment of anyone. And nor am I trying to cause fear or alarm. But the Bible is clear, friend. Unless you repent and turn to God, then you are still in your sin and you are heading for hell. And as uncomfortable as that may sound, even as harsh as it may sound, it is why the gospel is such great news. Where do you stand? Never mind anyone round about you or anyone else in your family. or any, Never mind anyone else. Where do you stand as regards this? I would plead with you in the words of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. 
And the only way to do that is to repent and turn to Christ who has paid the price for your sin. Beggar is supported. Jesus is proclaimed. Repentance is demanded. Finally, you see that blessing is promised. appears to me, and I'll need to kind of tie this up quickly, but it appears to me that there is at least, at least a threefold blessing that is promised to those who repent. Firstly, your sins are wiped out. Second, secondly, times of refreshing are promised. And thirdly, the return of Jesus. Paul, not Paul, Peter. Peter says that your sins may be wiped out. What a promise. What, 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 what a blessing to know that your sins, every single one of them, every last one of them are wiped out. They're forgiven. They are removed as far as the east is from the west. They're gone. Never to be remembered no more. The word that is used there for wiped means to wash off or erase or even better, better, obliterate. That's what happens to your sins when you truly repent and believe the good news of Jesus. Summed up in that wonderful old hymn, it is well with my soul. When in the third verse, it says this, my sin." Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. I'm forgiven. I am cleansed. And what a joy and what a blessing that is to be free from the penalty of sin. Do you know that this morning? You can as you repent and trust in Christ. Peter also speaks there, doesn't he, about time of refreshing coming from the Lord and, and how true that is that God by his word and through the Holy Spirit just so often comes and refreshes us. When did you last feel refreshed? When did you last just know the Lord just thrown alongside and just, just refreshing you? Just lifting you up. And just as John Stott comments, God does not wipe away our sins without adding his refreshment for our spirits. 
Oh, for times of spiritual refreshing from the Lord. And then he speaks. Kind of, at first I struggle a wee bit, can you understand where he was coming from at first here? But he speaks about the sending of the Christ, even Jesus. You can think, well, Jesus already be. But then he says this, who must remain in heaven until God's appointed time and who will come again. Jesus, now Peter wraps everything up about Jesus' death and his resurrection and how God has exalted him and then of how one day he will come again. The glorious prospect of the Lord's return when all things will be restored, when everything will be made new. What blessings. What promises. And they are all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascending, and his coming again. And then kind of at the end of, of, of the chapter, Peter once again, he kind of goes back to where they would clearly understand. He goes back to their scriptures, the Old Testament, and he cites Moses and Samuel and all the prophets, almost as if it were to drive this message home. Friends, the name the name of Jesus is as powerful today as it was then. And we as his followers today need to boldly <coughs> proclaim him. And we need to call people to repentance. And we need to begin to enjoy more of the promised blessings that are ours in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Know that these are heavy and weighty matters. They're not just matters of life and death, but they're matters of eternal destiny. And we thank you for the glorious gospel. We thank you that it is indeed the good news. We thank you that it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And Lord, it's easy at, at points like this to think on others, but, but Lord, would you help us even in this moment just to, to examine our own hearts? And would you allow the Holy Spirit to take the word of God and reveal it to us? And would you show us our need of Jesus? If there's sin, would you help us to repent? And Lord, would you enable us to proclaim him, to live out our lives for him in such a way that people see the difference, just as they did with that crippled man who had been healed. And would you help us to enter in with joy, to the many blessings that are ours already 
far less what is still to come. Lord Jesus, we lift you high and we praise your name. Amen.